And I think years ago when I lived in Brooklyn, I think there was actually like a live version of yes. Point Break or something. Yeah, there was a Point Break live. This is one of these things like Saved by the Bell, the musical, like this kind of thing. I actually went to it with a friend who was very excited to take me and we walked out of it because I, I thought it was so awful. And wasn't the whole gist of the show that they pulled every night they pulled a different person out of the audience to play the Keanu Reeves part? Yes, that is true. Yes, yes, yes. Which... I feel like in the middle of the movie last night, I, I I noted something, which is that like throughout the movie, characters keep talking about Keanu Reeves's face as like having intense eyes. And you can tell that he's a searcher by the look on his face. And then they would immediately cut to his face. And it looked like he was about to say what? Like he just wasn't listening to the conversation and was totally daydreaming the whole time. <laughs> and then I like, after I noted that, I was like, oh, that was the whole gist of this musical in, in new york that <laughs> did point break literally anyone could play the keanu reeves part because you just have to go like huh close to it. Not even sex. We are the ex-president. It's total commitment. It's a real thin line between life and death. I'm not a cook. It's not tragic to die doing what you love. If you want the ultimate, you gotta be willing to pay the ultimate price. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and please don't forget to vote. You want to nail the bank robbers and be a big hero? Definitely. The ex-presidents are surfers. You're trying to tell me the FBI is going to pay me to learn to surf? Fear causes hesitation. And hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. He'll take you to the edge. Past it. This is going to be a great day, Johnny. Think taxpayers would like at Utah if they knew that they were paying a federal agent to surf and pick up girls. Babes. Big one. The correct term is babes, sir. Yeah. Um, so, uh, welcome to 30 Years Later. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ricky Camilleri, and uh, here with me is, uh, of course, your co-host, Chris Chafin. Chris, say hi. Hello, everyone. And um, this episode, we're extremely lucky because we're joined by uh, not just someone who hasn't seen who hadn't seen Point Break before doing this podcast, but that someone is also the great David Reese, who is the co-host of the Election Profit Makers podcast, as well as the co-creator of Dicktown, which is available on Hulu, and uh, also you know was a creator of Get Your War On, one of these sort of great comic strips uh, of the George Bush years and the Iraq War years, uh, and just a really funny, great all-around guy. David, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for those kind words, and hello, everybody. Um, and as we were just saying, uh, you had not seen Point Break before. Um, I should say, actually, before maybe we even get started, Point Break was released uh, in 1991, of course, 30, 30 years ago. July 12th, 1991, it was released up against 101 Dalmatians, a re-release uh, regarding Henry, which was directed by Mike Nichols and written by, at that point, an up-and-comer J.J. Abrams. And of course, uh, John Singleton's Boys and the Hood, which um, feel bad that we're not talking about because uh, 
it's, I mean, Boys in the Hood and Point Break both had such huge cultural impacts. Boys in the Hood, I think, inarguably a a more important cultural impact than Point Break. Given that we just discussed how it was David's pick, Ricky, I can't believe you're bagging on him like this. Like, it's so, so rude. My apologies, David. I did not mean that in in reference to. I mean, I saw Boys in the Hood in the theater when it came out, uh, and it was an intense experience, but. And I would be happy to talk about it any other time, but not when there's an unseen point break on, on at the well, buffet. I had to go well, do you actually, do you mind telling briefly the story of seeing Boys in the Hood for the first time in the movie, in the movie theater when, upon release? I'm curious. I didn't go open opening night, but some friends of mine did. And I remember when we met up afterwards to go to a show, uh, my friends were kind of stunned. We had all wanted to go see it because the trailer we had saw was kind of like campy and trashy and sassy. Uh, none of us realized how heavy and somber that movie was going to be. This was back in the era, I can't remember when Snoop Dogg's first album came out, but it was very much like Compton, South Central was on was on a bunch of suburban white kids' minds. as kind of like this enticing forbidden kind of fun uh, thing that you ultimately didn't have to take seriously. But I remember meeting my friends on the sidewalk outside the club and I was like, so how was boys in the hood? Was it fun? Like, was it really crazy? And they were just kind of like, that movie was really, really, it was good, but it was very heavy. (laughs) So. Hey guys, boys in the hood, huh? Good time. Oh, right? Life in South Central, huh? It's a laugh a minute. And there had, I mean, and there had been plenty of movies in that space, kind of corny hip hop adjacent movies that are made for people who only have a glancing familiarity with the actual conditions of a lot of the people who produce that culture do you know what i mean like well we talked about new jack city on this show just a couple new jack ago. city is yeah. another one i saw in the theater i saw the fucking vanilla ice movie in the theater i'm not <laughs> saying that's as good as boys in the hood but it was all of a piece and when you're young and you're just going to see movies it's like you don't usually you can't always separate out like okay this is a serious hip-hop movie this is a goofy hip-hop movie i think my friends went into boys in the hood like they like they probably went into the Vanilla Ice movie, which is like, yeah, we're going to smuggle in some 40s and drink malt liquor. It's going to be really fun. And uh, John Singleton dropped a bomb on them. Well, it's like New Jack City is Ice T's movie. Uh, cool as Ice is Vanilla Ice's movie. And Boys in the Hood seemed like it could be Ice Cube's movie. Those are the three ice, the three ice movies. You're right. You can watch them in the film festival. And and like the three of them, Ice Cube dropped the the best of the three and the hardest hitting of the three. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. Um, so when Point Break came out, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to date you. I was like, I was, I was pretty young. I was like six years old. So the movie for me, as I became an adult, sort of grew in my consciousness. I think as it grew as a cult movie, and you could kind of understand it within that context once i started understanding movies a little bit more but for you as someone who was a teenager when point break came out was it cool right off the bat or was it something that was being made fun of what did what did people think of it so july 91 uh was the summer after my first year of college uh i was living at home in chapel hill that's right because that's where i saw boys in the hood um i don't remember it at the time 
I feel like it's one of those, I mean, I feel like it's one of those movies that kind of, you know, grows in status. Um, and by the time I really became aware of it was probably when that stuff was happening in Brooklyn with the live version. And it was like, oh, this must have become like some kind of camp phenomenon that now people are riffing on it in other performances or something, you know? Yeah, I feel like it's really people who are like my age. I'm I'm older than Ricky. So I was like nine, I guess, when this movie came out or almost nine, 10 years old, like around that age. Right. I think people who are my age, like are really, really into this movie. And it came out when we were kids and. Like you were saying, Ricky, like it grew with you your whole life. You've seen it so many times. And there was this whole kind of like indie, indie nostalgia industry around this time that I feel like it was like really well set up to serve, you know. So when did that when did that reappraisal or that thing start like 10 years after it came out in the early 2000s? I think I so, would. I, yeah, or yeah I would say something later. like that. Yeah. yeah, I think there were people who knew off the bat that it was a well-directed action movie. You know, you, I mean, even if you don't like the concept or if you think a lot of it is silly, there are technical things within the movie that are extremely impressive. Um, that I think if you were an adult and you liked movies in 1991, you would be able to recognize those things. But I don't think it grew its, its camp value, nor even, I think, taking it more seriously, both as a camp artifact and as a a uh, uh, thematically serious movie. I don't think that grew until like 10 years later, but I'm, I always, I'm always curious about this when a movie has a life like that, because I think of the period of time where I was like a, a high school student or a college student and fancied myself as some sort of um, member or person of interest with it, of subcultures and of, and, and, and artistic interests and movies that just didn't make the grade for me at that time, because I thought they were, too stupid or too silly and 10 years later have been able to like go back and see them and be like oh that movie is actually really well done for what it is i just was totally unwilling to give it any kind of pass because i was um a pretentious piece of shit I when was, i was 19 yeah, years I was, old i was that way like most of my life um but here's another speaking of the timing like we were talking about so hurt locker came out in 2008 so obviously 2008 2009 Catherine bigelow wins the best directing oscar and the movie wins best picture so like Maybe that's I because I do remember at the time talking to people who would say to me, oh, you know, she directed Point Break. And I would be like, what? She directed Point Break. And I, I have to imagine that conversation was happening like to many different people, you know, at the time. So at this point, that's like 13 years ago. So maybe that was a kind of point of reappraising the movie. There was also Hot Fuzz came out around that time as well. And Hot Fuzz references uh, Point Break That's is sort right. of like yeah. one of yeah. the great movies of this of of this genre. I have yeah. to admit that I forgot until I started watching it the other night that Catherine Bigelow directed it. And it's I mean, interesting. I, yeah, I had known that, but I had but I had forgotten it. And then all this other stuff came rushing back. Like, oh right, this is a legendarily kind of crazy movie that she directed when she was. I don't know if she was married to. Cameron or they were partners or something but it, they were married yeah supposedly they both did a bunch of you know uncredited work on the screenplay and we just did Terminator 2 last week which obviously just came out uh, around this time that this movie came out right a week a before week, literally a week before and I was thinking imagine first of all what a fucking power couple like yeah, second totally. of all who would think Catherine Bigelow's movie would be the one that was all about the ocean and not James Cameron's movie? Like, what are the fucking odds, you know? And then when you read like, well, actually he did a lot of work on the screenplay. You're like, oh, okay, now, now I do understand. Yeah, okay, that makes sense, you know? 
well, the screenplay is is extremely tight for what it is, and it's another example of like I don't think people knew how good they had it with movies in 1991, considering what this movie would be now, or the fact that it just would not. There's no way it would be this good. Well, I mean, they just remade it, right? Ricky sent me a clip. <laughs> Have you seen this movie by any chance, David? The remake version of it? Yeah, I've um, seen the remake ten times. I just oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> I just didn't. I didn't want to spoil my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I watched the remake today in in preparation for this um, because I'm a absolute masochist. You just, it's you just hate hands, yourself, Ricky. You just want to punish it, yourself. It's hands down one of the worst movies I've ever watched, really? and I don't. And I know that's hyperbolic, and it sounds like an exaggeration, but it is astoundingly terrible um, in 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 so many respects. It also just feels like a a compilation of locations um, with like, I mean, and that's fine. Like you can go into making a movie and be like, these are the 10 locations we want to shoot at. Let's write a good movie around them. But this movie didn't even try to achieve that around the good locations. I mean, anytime people are talking, you can barely understand what they're saying or they're saying dialogue. Like I sent Chris a clip where they're about to sort of like fly through these mountains and these sort of like, um, I forgot what they're called, but it's kind of like windsurfing. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I think they did it in like in one of the Transformers movies those too. Like where, suits, like where you're like a flying squirrel. Like oh, the wingsuits. Yeah. Wingsuits. Yeah. And they're like they're you know Edgar Ramirez is telling the lead guy. Who I love by like, the way. I love Edgar Ramirez. I think he's great. Proximity flights a whole different monster. You need to read the flow. Become the wind, or you'll hit your point. What point? The point where you break. <laughs> someone was having fun. That yeah, that, it's like someone was just like, "Fuck this!" Like hand, handing this in. Um, so, David, what was you? What, what what were your first reactions watching this for the first time after, like you know, thirty years after its release, and probably like 20, 15, 20 years after it's become started to become to be like reappraised, like you said. Well, I have to tell you. I thought it was absolutely terrific. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I LOL'd multiple times. Usually if I'm watching a movie for a podcast or something, I take notes throughout the entire movie. But about 10 minutes into this movie, I just put down my pen and it was just like, I'm just going to ride this wave, man. (laughs) I realize now that 80% of the corny, cheesy phrases I like to say are probably third generation ripoffs of Patrick Swayze's dialogue in this movie. I thought the dialogue was terrific. I thought the surfing stuff was really cool. I totally, totally fell for the switcheroo which, uh, which about who the bank robbing crew was. Oh, oh they, really? Yeah. When they went to invade Anthony Kiedis's house, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I always thought Patrick Swayze, I assumed he was the bad guy, but I guess he's not. And then sure enough, it switched again. It was like, Oh my gosh, Patrick Swayze is the bad guy. What a great moment when <laughs> oh Keanu's watching God. them all surf and puts it all together. I thought the it's... skydiving moment wait, was Wait, can I just say, wait, terrific. can I just say, yeah. like, I've seen this movie so many times, and, like, when you said the switcheroo, like, I literally didn't even know what you were talking about. Like, No, neither did I. <laughs> that's amazing i'm so glad you were able to have such a pure experience of that moment in the movie totally it's well set up it's well done right because they seem like crazy 90s bad guys right i mean they were definitely a bunch of bad boys Mm -hmm. how much did you love that anthony kiedis acts the exact same way that he sings under the bridge yeah (laughs) i mean 
that was just one of the most California to you know this movie is very much about California and casting Anthony Kiedis as a as a homicidal meth dealing surfer is probably like the most California casting decision ever made it was just like oh we're Dream locked California in now. Yeah, yeah we are locked in now this is no one thinks this is happening in Nova Scotia this is California and he's just like so tan like a color that a person there i mean know, i have to no say, matter where like, you're born in the world yeah. nobody is naturally that color like you know the ma- the male bodies in this movie are <sighs> incredible there's so Insane. many beautiful men in this movie and it really made me realize how rare that is at least in the movies i see probably because i usually see movies directed by men and it made me think about, especially in action movies, even when you have people who are supposed to be fit, shirtless, tough guys in action movies, like uh, Jason Bourne or, I don't know, one of the Marvel movies or something. Or like it a, always seems like, like Vin their Diesel body, or something. Yeah, their body is just so aggressive. It doesn't look sensual. But these guys were sexy. I don't know if that's a surfer's body or what, but it's like... They and something life. about their attitude too, maybe. Like, yeah, maybe. they are. They're sexy. Every single yeah. one of them. Yeah. They look athletic and fit. They don't look bloated like they had just come from doing as many yeah. like heavy reps as possible yeah, before a, getting like, yeah, absolutely. You know, hey, can we get Matt out of the gym to come on set? And Matt's like in the midst of like, you know, squatting 350 and he <laughs> right. shows up yeah, and yeah, looks yeah. like his muscles are about to burst out of him. Keanu Reeves, he looks, he's muscular, but he's taut and he's fit. And Patrick Swayze has like a dancer's body. He has the smallest yeah, pecs totally. I've ever seen. I mean, when I was watching it, I was like, is Patrick Swayze sexy? Like, why was he such a sex? He has a funny face, but then I, they had a shot of his back and his, I was like, oh my God, what a beautiful back. No wonder this guy's so famous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, talk about, I mean, Patrick Swayze is so compelling in this movie, right? Like, it's just amazing, this character that he is. He's the kind of person that should be annoying, but somehow the way Patrick Swayze does him, I I mean, yeah, I was completely in love with him the entire time. Like, no wonder Johnny Utah falls in love with him. It's just like a, a, an extremely compelling screen performance. Well, they also do a good job of making all of his acolytes much dumber than him yeah (laughs) you know what ricky sorry to interrupt that is one of my critiques of the movie this movie is supposed to be about the incredible profound bonds that you have when you surf with people and you create a tribe and you're an outlaw and these guys are literally outlaws and by the end of the movie they're all dead except for patrick swayze and yet i had no sense of those characters personalities or who they were that was i thought a huge flaw of the movie it would have Taking it to the next level, level if I had a real sense of the guys in Patrick Swayze's crew. Well, even there's, well, a, there's a, there's a wait, wait. Can I say yeah, one no, thing really ahead. fast, Chris? I'm sorry. I, I think I might be so going to say the same thing as you, so you say it. Yeah, I don't think so. There's a, <laughs> there's a the, the scene in the movie where they're all around the fire, and one of the uh, one of his his henchmen or you know band of brothers is telling a story about like surfing the tube, and he literally sounds like he's doing an impression of that old. Um, news footage from australia where the kids like you get so pitted like he's he's basically doing that around the fire i sat there and i was like oh this would have been so much better in this moment if they cast real surfers for these parts instead of some dumb actor who's like overplaying 
this story and sounds like an idiot. And then I looked it up and it was actually like a real professional <laughs> surfer doing the monologue. She had done the homework and cast the real professional oh, wow. surfer. Interesting. Speaking to what you were talking about, David, about not having a sense of the henchmen characters at the very end of the movie, when they're the bank robbery has gone wrong and everybody's getting shot. Patrick Swayze is holding one of the henchmen and he says, come on, little brother, come on. <laughs> and the guy, and then I'm like, wait, does this guy look like Patrick Swayze? I'm like, is this supposed to be his brother? Like, why am I just hearing of this? <laughs> like, or is this just, is this just a colloquial term for him? Do you know what I mean? But I, I was like, right. at even 20 minutes from the end of the movie, I was totally possible that like <laughs> these characters were supposed to be brothers and I just hadn't picked up on it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, but I mean, this is probably the type of thing where it becomes much clearer on a second viewing when you know what to look for. But at that scene where Keanu goes to Patrick Swayze's house and they're <laughs> They're all dancing to Jimi Hendrix if six was nine. A song <laughs> and looking looking never into been the camera before yes. in human history. But even at that moment, I didn't pick I, I didn't clock that like, oh, these three other guys are Patrick Swayze's crew. It was just they all they all still looked the same to me at that point in the movie. Maybe I was transfixed by their abs or whatever. But maybe on a second viewing I would suss out the these characters as actual individual people instead of interchangeable I mean blondes I think you're right I mean I think I haven't I I don't I can't even remember what it would be like to experience this movie for the first time so like I know who like who James LaGrosse is in it and who the other guys are but even yeah I'll say even last night when that guy was doing that cheesy monologue by the fire I didn't know I just assumed that that's one of his guys because that's like who else would it be in that in that scene but I've also seen it you know, upwards of maybe 20, 30 times. Wait, I have no idea. Really? I don't know. I've seen this movie a lot. Whoa, yeah, me too. I've definitely seen it like something like that many times. It was just one of yeah. those movies that was on television all the time in, in the 90s. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it became something that once you appreciate, once I like became a big appreciator of it, I was probably like 23 and living in a, a, a Brooklyn apartment with a bunch of guys. And it would be the movie that we threw on, you know, while we were drinking one night, you right. know, like yeah. it just became that one, one of like that in Videodrome or something. Mm -hmm. Like it just became one of those boys night in put on. Point yeah. Break. Boys night. <laughs> Ricky's going to put on some point, <laughs> point break, like surfing men or sadomasochistic video sex. Like one or the other guys, right. what's on I'm the like menu? We're getting tonight? turned on either way. So, <laughs> I want to, you know, you had said that the the male bodies in the movie, and my first note from this watch was Keanu's FBI training is clearly being run by someone very attracted to him. <laughs> like, like the guy that's training him, it's just the two of them. And he was like, no, come on, Utah, let's do it in the rain. No, just all you need is your T-shirt. You're gonna, It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Hey, if you want to, like, make some real FBI money, you maybe take that T-shirt off. You know what I'm saying? I'm <laughs> But it sets up the movie, uh, I think, pretty beautifully in the sense that it's very over the top. It's kind of corny, but it's also so well directed. You can't help but enjoy it. Like there's a there's a sense of fun and playfulness that if you take that seriously, you're going to be lost and you're not going to enjoy the movie. But if you take it for what it is, you sort of know exactly what ride you're in for. 
You're about to watch a bunch of wet men run around for two hours. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what the opening credits is. Right. <laughs> that's what they promise. Well, I actually did think this movie does like a super good job of setting everything up in the first like 10 seconds of the movie. It's like surfing, guns firing, lots of wet guys, you know? And like, you're like, yeah, this is going to be the whole rest of the movie. Like, it's like, it is like a music video or something. Like all the different elements we're going to be cutting to later on are in the first montage just to like totally ground you in this universe. Which, and That's, this is that opening oh, was a, that opening was another thing that I had either forgotten or never known, which is I didn't realize that Keanu Reeves in this movie was an FBI agent. I think I thought that <laughs> I mean this is kind of technically what happens, but I think I thought that he was just a wannabe bank robber who Patrick Swayze took under his wing. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> but when he, he was just you an know, aspiring was, gangster, is that yeah, like yeah. How, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like you fall under the sway of a older guy, he has some bad um bad habits and you partake so when they showed him as a actual fbi agent like a rookie you know who was going being taken under the wing by another great role model gary Busey, with no bad habits it was like oh he's fbi wow this is very specific okay and also his introduction into the fbi office is um an incredible steady cam shot. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it he walks into the like foyer foyer and it, it's like behind him and then it whip pans to the, the girl behind the desk that lets him in and it follows him through two doors. Yep. And then it whip pans around the office and covers the 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 sort of lieutenant, the head FBI agent, and whip pans to somebody else grabbing something. It's this incredibly complex, long, choreographed shot. That would normally be reserved. I think most people would be like, "Oh, we have a chase scene. Let's do a one. Right. Let's we have save this, this for the bank it. robbery. We're going to use this for right. the bank robbery." She's like, "No, she's... first day of work. Let's do it then too." <laughs> yeah, and it's thrilling. It's a really beautiful shot, and that's what I mean by like, even if you can't take the movie seriously or you can't enjoy the movie because you can't take it seriously, that shot alone. If you like movies, you should be able to be like, "Well, I'll at least watch what this person's going to do with the camera for the rest of the movie because it's pretty good." Do you think she was taking the movie seriously? I, so, yeah. <laughs> Very good question, David. Very good question. And I have a lot of first, I have a lot of freshman undergrad thoughts about this. <laughs> All right. I do think that, you know, I think she knows that she's making a big action movie for a male audience. And she's kind of... um hitting all of those points and references in a, in a, in a cheeky, in a winking way, but not in such a winking way that they're, they're not going to get it well, or it's going to be too ironic, but yeah, I no, I, think... I totally agree with that, Ricky. Like what you're talking about, about the beginning, the opening being the shooting test, but like in the rain and super crazy. I think that's exactly what you're saying. Up. It's like, um, the, the, all the elements of a movie like this, you would have seen before, but just done like having the maximum amount of fun with them, you know? Yeah, and then I also think, and this is where I, uh, I I'm going to get undergrad here, is that I do think that like the the individualistic philosophy um, put out by by Swayze's character embodied in him robbing banks as U.S. presidents and like even referencing deregulation while taking money out of the bank accounts, and then becoming this thing where he's killing people and he's killing the people that he's with. And it doesn't matter because all that he cares about is his own individualization and like steering clear of any kind of real communal living or in any sort of society is in their way, a, in her way, I think a sort of reaction to the Reagan years, but put on 
the people who would say that they are most anti anti Reagan in a way, like taking people who would consider themselves liberal in some capacity and putting them in 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 putting the individualization of the Reagan years onto them as well and making them a part of the blame. I That's mean, where I got a little a little heady, annoyingly heady with. I it love today. that theory. And that makes me love Catherine Bigelow. I mean, I loved her for Hurt Locker. I think Hurt Locker is terrific. But then what? Then how do you account for Zero Dark Thirty? I mean, obviously people can mm. change, but wasn't that movie criticized for just being a total apologia for like the Bush administration's torture. torture policies? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that movie, I mean, I think that movie was made by the CIA. <laughs> right. I don't I don't even think it was apologia for the, for the Bush administration. I think it was literally made by the CIA under the Obama administration as a means to um, as, a, as a means to sort of wash over yeah the, the eight years under the right. under, under the Bush years okay. absolutely I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in the books you would find funding right from the CIA on that movie well I love I, your theory about I love your theory about this about point break being about how pernicious selfish individualism is and it yes. affects the people who are very deliberately and publicly trying to live in opposition to those forces of selfishness they actually succumb themselves to you know anyone can be self self-righteous and justify their own selfish behavior by referring to some woo-woo it can either be the wisdom of the free, invisible hand of the free market or it can be something about becoming one with the wave but in the end they're all just spinning rhetoric that allows them to do what they want without considering other people articulated far better wow. than me. Thank yeah. you, David. Wow, that was great. Yeah. It's a heavy socialist <laughs> masterpiece. It's got to be in the jacket. Well, it would festival. be if it wasn't also so, um, I think, on the side of the FBI in the end of the movie. Or or, or is it? Because I do wonder at the, F- at the end, like the FBI and Bodhi and his gang kill the same amount of people and are almost just as responsible for, for, for this, for deaths as as Bodie and the crew are, and often the FBI are depicted as, as as boneheads. That's true, and I think one thing that would probably pop out to me more if I watched it a second time would be just what a complete and total fuck up the initial raid on that meth house was. Yes, oh, that was yeah. just a catastrophic failure of intelligence and protocol, and it's probably. I mean, I remember, I mean, I know, I mean, I remember in passing just feeling like, wait, are they not going to get in trouble for killing all those people? Like, not, not to mention the fact that they messed up some DEA undercover operation that sounds like it was months in the making, right? There's one. Sizemore. Is that who that was? I couldn't tell. He was so young. That's, yeah, that's Tom Sizemore. And that's his second of three Bigelow performances. He was in her movie Blue Steel and he's in this and then he's in Strange Days, her follow up movie, which was her. Her and Cameron's response to the riots and and, and the Rodney King meeting. that was her like flirting with like Cronenberg style weird tech futurism stuff. Strange days. I saw it, but yeah. I don't I don't remember anything about it other than a weird mood. If you go mood. if if you go back and watch it, it the the it's like really three movies that in, in one like clearly they didn't have enough time to really like f- you know put shape into their script and bring everything together. And it sort of fails in that regard, but it is a a very interesting movie trying to tackle race at this time in L.A. Like it's set in the future, but there is a there's a there's a riot going on. There's a video of police brutality that's being circulated. Yeah, right, sort of right, like, right. It's a huge, huge part of it. But then there's also like a noir murder mystery that like 
Tom Sizemore is a leading that doesn't make much. You're like, why is this in the? You, and why do you have this as well and, as virtual reality? Yeah, it has to well do with like brain thing. microchips or something, also like, and they're very like into the tech of how the brain microchips work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a fascinating failure. I think it's a. I, I've seen it a couple times. It's definitely. It's always worth a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly um, the kind of shit I liked as a kid too. That kind of like you know whatever like weird cyberpunk stuff that was really bleak i was really into that it's like canal street versions of philip k dick stuff exactly 100 percent. yes and then bigelow followed up her 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 interest on 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 race relations with detroit i don't know if either of you guys saw i never saw that no 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 i didn't i'm a i'm a i'm a rare defender of that movie (laughs) or of bigelow of that movie yeah it's a deeply cynical movie about police brutality but there was a backlash because it's so brutal towards the black victims in the movie that people were kind of like why this just feels like pornographic for white people this is to that tra- the trauma porn which i feel like i'm reading more and more about in the press when yeah you, well how many seasons TV have they made of yeah yeah how many seasons have they made of uh handmaid's tale you know what i mean right i can't watch stuff like that anymore i've realized as i've gotten older I can't, I can't, I can't watch stuff like The Handmaid's Tale either. But not, not because it's violent. But there's something inherently exploitative about the violence because of the the format, the medium of television, and the way that the show must go on. Mm-hmm. Right, it has um, to keep that one it upping itself, kind of. Like, is is that what? Yeah, you mean? and it, and it doesn't really feel like a real message behind what they're saying, or like at least an artistic, like a, a, an artistic idea behind it. And then this sense that. You know, like your draw- last time I was in LA, I saw a billboard with an image from The Handmaid's Tale that just said "resist" or something on it, and I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, people are resisting by watching this TV show? Come on, <laughs> like, like, can we can we not do this? With- that's a, it's just that's a, a marketing TV show. team that knows their audience. It's like, <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where um, just moving through the the movie a little bit. Uh, I love that Busey. Well, one, I love Busey in this movie. I think this is one of Busey's best performances. Um, well, and it's I like specifically... strangely like reined in in a certain way, right? I don't know, man. It's the other guy, the other guy who's Gary Busey. All the time. I, mean... I mean, the guy from Scrubs, their boss, right? S- yes, screams almost every line. And maybe Busey was like, "Man, if I wish I'd had the first shot of the film, I would have outscreened him, and then I could have been Alpha Dog, and I could have screamed the whole time." <laughs> I just. I just love when uh, when Keanu's trying to get get into the get into the mix a little bit, and they're at the site of where the car got dumped. And Keanu's like, "Look, man, if you want to sit around telling nom stories all day, feel be my guest." And then Busey interrupts him with telling a nom story. <laughs> like, he immediately is like, "Hey, you little punk! I was taking shrapnel and caisson while you were just a baby, or something like that." Wow, you <laughs> have seen like, this movie a lot. I believe he says something like suck in your mama's titty or something yeah, like that. <laughs> I don't think he says when you were a baby. That's way too tame. No, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the moment later when uh, he makes him go get meatball subs. Oh, yeah. And That's they, a very basically... weird. There's something about that sandwich run that is just <laughs> off. Something about. I don't know what it is. I mean, obviously, it's a setup for this bank robbery that they're a little too distracted to notice as it's happening but there's something about the meatball sub i think it's that keanu asks for a meatball sandwich instead of a meatball sub it's just (laughs) off there's just something that's just off about that whole scene 
but yeah it's it, well what's what's off to me about that scene is Busey directs him to go get the two sandwiches and you know says like get me two utah get me two and Keanu oddly has like a smile when he gets out of the car, like he's excited to go get sandwiches. Like he's not laughing at Gary Busey for asking for two. He's just like has a like a puppy dog smile on his face, like this is going to be fun. Well, I oh, think the vibe of the scene is it's just him and his good friend are having a nice time. I mean, that's they're doing a stakeout <laughs> to catch robbers, quote unquote. But it's just him and Gary Busey just joking around about sandwiches, you know. And we should he's- also remember, and it really this is another thing that came home to me watching this movie after never having seen it for thirty years is Keanu Reeves is extremely charming. I wish him nothing but the best, but he he he's not he can't act. I mean, he just can't. I love him in movies. And one time I saw him at a restaurant in Los Angeles, and it was truly one of the most exciting celebrity sightings I've ever had, especially because he left with his motorcycle helmet and just rode away on his motorcycle like the coolest guy ever. But (laughs) fucking rules. This guy is like completely opaque. Yes. There's, you know, and I don't know why everybody loves him. It's, is it because we can see that he's trying or is it because we can see that he's not trying? Is it because we can see him struggling to act like a fellow human or because he has just transcended that humanity and just does whatever he wants, but he's just, he may, he makes no sense psychologically. I see. I kind of, I I disagree a little bit in the sense that, like I have written down, even when he's bad, there's something believable about it. Well, this and is... I think by believable, I mean watchable. Yeah, totally. Just no, want he's to compelling watch to watch. Yes, a hundred percent. I think there's just something very genuine. Something genuine about the way that he is affectless. You know, like yeah, that's not what it everybody. Is. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah, like not everybody has a lot going on all the time. Like a lot of times, your reaction to things that go on around you is just like, oh. You know, and that's like <laughs> Keanu is just embodying that so perfectly in, in everything he's ever done. I think that um, affectlessness is maybe what I was getting at because it feels like nobody would ever decide to act that way because it's just so. It's not Uncanny Valley, but it's like the meadow that's only a couple miles away from the Uncanny Valley, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so particular and odd in every movie in every movie that you're like well i this is a guileless performance like yeah yeah well, i don't know it's 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 a it's a movie star thing in a way right like tom cruise can sort of be like that it's different it's in the sense that tom cruise though. is like emoting as much as he possibly can right. all the time right but there is a sense that even while he's emoting you're like this is an alien doing what he thinks yeah, humans right. do. And I cannot stop fucking watching this. Right. Like, Tom Cruise, every performance is like, love me, humans, love me, humans, love me, humans, love me, humans. Yes. I'm doing my own stunts. Love me, humans. I'm running with perfect posture. Love me, humans, love me, humans. But <laughs> Keanu's, Keanu's performance, every performance is just, what? Right. <laughs> huh? Oh, <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's beautiful. <laughs> it really is. There's something very beautiful about it. We should say that uh, Catherine Bigelow fought for Keanu to be in the movie. Apparently, um, the studio like he wasn't a big star yet. He had only done, I mean, he'd done a few movies, but mainly Bill and when Ted he was and known like for My Own this Private was, Idaho, right? I mean, nope, My Own Private Idaho is after. Really? This. What? Yes, My Own no. My Own Private Idaho is after. No, this. no yes, way. it is. That's fucking crazy. It's this really? year, I believe. It's I believe it's this year. But it's 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 after this. Um, wow. Hold on, we'll take. Up. I haven't seen oh, that since it came out either. Oh, I watched that. Re- I mean, I watched that movie pretty regularly. That holds up 
well if you enjoy the whole Shakespeare piece of it. A lot of people get thrown off. Is on he that. narcoleptic I, in I that movie? River River Phoenix oh, is okay, narcoleptic. Right. Yeah. So he had done. Okay, so he had done um, River's Edge, classic. He's in River's um, Edge. Yeah, he's the lead in River's Edge. He's perfect in River's Edge oh, because he's affectless. That too now. I got he's, all this homework now. <laughs> he's, he's has, he has no personality in River's Edge, and it's the absolute perfect casting because he's the lead, and they keep being kind of like, your friend killed a girl. And he's like, I know. Okay. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> Interesting. Um, but, but then he did uh, he he did Parenthood where he played Todd right. the bad boyfriend, um, and then he did a movie called I Love You to Death with Kevin Klein, a movie called Providence. I don't think that's anything, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and then Point Break, and then Bogus Journey comes out later this year, and so does My Own Private Idaho, and then ninety two you get Dracula, Much Ado About Nothing. And speed is 94. I would love wow. to know what Bigelow saw in Keanu Reeves. I mean, obviously now you cast Keanu too. Reeves because you want him to be Keanu Reeves for multiple multiple reasons. You just want him to show up and be Keanu Reeves. But that early in his career, I wonder what she saw in him, unless it was like, I need a male lead who is believable as an FBI agent, an empty vessel into which anti-crime ideologies can be put in but he also needs to be able to zone out and get spacey and weird once he gets in too deep with the drug of surfing and i guess keanu can do both of those things right because he has a sort of wide-eyed kind of yeah. blank vessel quality to, <laughs> to help, i think you know? I, I think a fresh-faced beauty that you can kind of uh project any 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 idea or 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 or, behavior, or philosophy onto right, which the movie yeah. is doing and textually with, with the, the movie is doing that thing. right I mean yeah exactly right, yeah. like exactly. first it's the FBI and then it's uh, Bodhi right yeah right but I will say it almost it, it it doesn't matter in some ways how good or bad his performance is at the end of the day because the script does so much work for his character that by the time you get to the point where he jumps out of the plane without the parachute you're just totally on board you believe he would do that you believe the whole scenario no matter how absurd it is it doesn't feel like it the movie was solely working just to get to that point it feels like it was also building a character that got to that point that makes sense that no, I, makes I mean, sense but i'm not sure I believe it. I'm not. <laughs> well, you well well, David. You didn't just watch Point Break from 2015. That's true. <laughs> right. I can only compare it to my own lived experience of falling under the sway of a surfing guru. Who? Oh, right. So you don't know. You don't know shit about this, David. You don't know anything I can't about. Compare this. it to other iterations of the same IP. <laughs> but I'm not sure that. I don't know. Honestly, this conversation just makes me think I should watch it more than once because I'm sure my second watch would be very different. And maybe I would be more sensitive to those big character moments when he decides to jump out of the plane without a parachute and just <laughs> chase down the bad guy like by just falling onto him. It's just like such yeah. an incredible metaphor. <laughs> I mean, that whole scene is just so romantic and crazy. I was just lolling. And the music gets really profound and it's like, even more, you know, it's like as much as this movie is supposed to be about surfing, the moment when they're all truly in awe is when they're just falling through space, you know? <laughs> we never see Keanu Reeves more exuberant or more vocal 
than when I think at one point he's just like, "This is just so wonderful," or something like that when they're falling. <laughs> he, like, when, so when beautiful. When 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 he's falling, he goes fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess it's easier and, and, to film those in close up than a than him on a wave saying "fucking amazing," but still, it really you know it's a or or even him in a room saying "fucking amazing." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> You have to hang him from a crane and put a big fan under him, and then he can really do it. Yeah. Um, but by the way, te- like in the movie, like in the plot of the movie, that moment comes after he is like almost a hundred percent sure they know he's a cop and are probably trying to kill him, and yet he is still so moved by the experience of skydiving that he cannot help but scream, "Fucking amazing!" And like, yeah, right. All his I mean, bros, and that you know, and that's when you start to read them. You can't help but read the movie as just like it's a doomed romance. Like this is a love story about star-crossed lovers. That's the Capulets and the Montagues. It'll never work. Everyone knows it'll never work. But they're just gonna jump out. They're just gonna do this incredible romantic gesture together, right? Jump out of a plane. Because, like, what else can you do? You know, yeah, what else? Yeah, can you you're do? so right. Like, what does Swayze even says to him? Like, right before he jumps out of the plane, which uh, is actually Swayze jumping out of the plane at the end of the, in the last uh, yeah, I read plane that. jump. Yeah, in he's the an movie. actual skydiver. Yeah. Um. But what he before he jumps out of the plane, he says something like, "I know you want me so bad, you can yes. taste it." Yes. <laughs> and he jumps yeah. out of the plane. I mean, this has one of the only theoretically non-sexual uses of the the device, where when they first meet at the beach, Keanu and and uh, and Patrick Swayze, they're having this great day together, and they're walking down the the road later on, and Keanu goes, "Well, this is me." Like nobody who's yeah. not on a date says, "Well, yeah, this yeah, is me." Right. Never. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that stuff must be all very deliberate, right? I mean, I think so. They were probably like, you know what, man? Even if the critics dog this movie, this is going to be a foundational queer text for decades to come. This is the early '90s. This shit is about to get so pervasive. You know? Do you think one of them said that to Catherine Bigelow? They're like, Catherine, it seemed like kind of. I don't know, kind of gay. And she's like, yeah, it's like an, action. Like an executive it's great, or focus right? group or something. It's like, no, like even Keanu or Swayze, oh, right, you know, yeah. like, like she's like telling them how to play it, you know, you're going to hold like, hands, Oh, you're going to hold hands in the sky. <laughs> to potentially fall to your death together in your embrace. You're going to say, I want you so bad. You, you want me so bad. You can taste it. And then uh, I want Catherine. I yeah. I want you to look into each other's eyes and go yank it. You first, yank it, you first. Like, <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they had those conversations or if those guys were just like, either like, fuck it, let's see if we can get away with it, right? Or maybe they were just progressive enough to be like, no, this is really cool. This is, this is fun and nuanced. And there's, you know, I can imagine Keanu Reeves being like, I've always wanted to star in a rich text. Thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> Well, I mean, he does, he does, like we said, he does do My Own Private Idaho this year. And I yeah, believe he was, yeah. I believe he was shooting both of these at the same time. All right. So like, I, yeah, I feel like I read out. somewhere a long time ago that like he finished shooting Point Break and then like flew overnight to the set of My Own Private Idaho. Or because some, in My Own Private Idaho, is he River Phoenix's lover? Are they in a gay relationship? No, in my own private Idaho, they're both um, prostitutes. Oh, they're right. Both hus- oh, yeah. They're both hustlers. Okay. And okay. River Phoenix is in is is in love with Keanu's character, but it's not like a huge focal point of the movie. Okay. And then, um, but Keanu's character, which he says at the beginning, 
he only fucks for money, but eventually he's going to take his, his dad's wealthy and he's going to inherit his dad's money and he'll stop fucking for money at that point. This right, is just okay. like a little vacation for him in a way. And then he meets a woman in Italy and he stops, you know, hus- he stops hustling. But that's but, um, still a pretty queer movie. I mean, I remember when that movie came out. Oh, yeah. People at my alma mater, Oberlin College, were very excited. Um, <laughs> oh, no. My Own Private Idaho is like foundational yeah, queer, very, very queer right, film. Very, yeah, exactly. Who was that? Yeah. Gus Van Sant? Gus Van Sant. Yeah, that was Gus Van Sant. Yeah. Um, the only, literally, the only thing I remember about it is somebody kept falling asleep, and then the incredible sex scenes where they were just had the actors pose, but the camera was. They're like stills, but you can tell that they're not actually stills, right? The the actors are just holding positions, and the camera films them. Am I imagining that? No, that's 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 true. With there's one with Udo Kier and and River Phoenix and Keanu, and then there's one with um, uh, the girl, the okay. the Italian yeah. girl that Keanu hooks up with. There's a scene in the movie where you know we're talking about sort of who are the villains here, and obviously, I think uh, on the on the surface, the villains are. Bodie and the bank robbers, but the FBI kind of does worse things than the bank robbers do until the bank robbers end up killing somebody, which is that like, you know, Keanu Reeves's manipulation of Lori Petty is pretty monstrous. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. he like looks, they show him a computer and he's like, I got to find something that I can, that I can use here. And he's like, oh, nice. Both their parents are dead. <laughs> I can incredible. use this. Okay. So that was and an then- unintentional LOL for me. That scene. It was like, <laughs> bro, are you really going to do this? We're really doing this right now, screenwriters. But yeah, and it's but like within goes... like one minute of meeting her, he's like, you know, my parents are both dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right, like yeah. it's like like it's like something out of like a uh, like a teen movie from the '90s or something. Like so, exactly. Like later, someone's gonna be. like, where did you find my file? Mm-hmm. Right, like, exactly. Uh, but he literally goes to where she works. And like you said, within a minute, he suddenly starts telling her his life story. And I just couldn't help but think like that has never worked. Like you never go to someone's job and distract them for like 15 minutes and tell them a story while they're probably in the middle of like trying to serve people. They're going to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, like, come on, look, I have, I have to work. If you look like Keanu Reeves at this point though, I think I guess, maybe yeah, it would work. I, mean, I think right. it would work. That's true. My girlfriend throughout the movie, every time like multiple shots of Keanu, she would be like, so cute. Yeah. Oh my God. Maybe Gary Busey <laughs> couldn't get away with it, but Keanu Reeves could. <laughs> Gary Busey is the one who would try to get away with that. Right. Hey, sweetheart, let me tell you a story <laughs> about my life. <laughs> my parents died too of old age, though. <laughs> um, so uh, let's see. What did you guys think of of the casting of 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 Lori Petty? Well, David, I, I mean, great. I would like. I, I, I didn't know who she was. I I liked her. Um, I don't know what the. I don't know what the adjective, her spikiness, um, her spunk. Yeah. Spunk. Maybe. Yes. That is. Wait, David, but can I interrupt that you weren't familiar with Lori Petty? That seems like exactly the kind of person that would be marketed to you, you know, as a, as a cool person in the early nineties. So I looked her up when I was watching it and it was like, I never saw tank girl. I never saw a league of their own. I never saw free Willy. Um, she was in free Willy. What? What a weird movie. Her and Michael Madsen were the stars of Free Willy. That's so weird. I think yeah, this... I've, I mean, look, yeah, looking at this filmography, I think the only movie of hers that I've ever seen is Point Break. I had never seen her before, and I was like, oh, this is like a really, this feels like a real person. Like, this is not, Yes. I mean, she's beautiful, but she is not, Um, 
I, I could very easily see this. I could very easily see this character being a different actress, a more traditional beach babe actress. Right. And that's the kind of thing where it felt like, yeah, maybe this is one of those casting decisions that a, that a male director wouldn't have made, but that a, a female director would make because there's something compelling about her, but it's kind of a little bit out of left field. I don't know. I thought she was because fine. she has she is very like sexy and cool and as in like amazing shape obviously but there's something about her where she's just like very cool and seems very rational and like you're saying Ricky she's so taken advantage of by Keanu Reeves and the way she responds is so like normal and identifiable um she and I she tries to shoot him <laughs> yeah that felt a little bit out of character and also i will say the ending is a little unsatisfying when she runs to him in her negligee after being yeah, kidnapped and threatened for more i don't know how long it is days i guess that she would just run and hug him i don't know i mean i guess that yeah that sense, felt but... like an a like a like a thing where Catherine bigelow probably went up to her and was like hey look i'm sorry we there are certain things for the for this movie to get made we have to do and this is one of them so okay action right. <laughs> <laughs> And just the kind of like all is forgiven thing, because basically she was pissed at him the last we knew. And then. Right. Yeah. And then she gets kidnapped because of because him. of him. And, you know, and, and it's and almost maybe murdered. This, maybe the subtext, you know, is, um, you know, maybe this is a movie about PTSD, just like the Hurt Locker. And the right. subtext is yes. she's so fucked up and damaged now that she's going to throw herself at Keanu Reeves, even though this guy is obviously just kind of building a life of lie upon lie, which culminates in him throwing. And she's obviously living in this world where, you know, she's being so abused by all these men and Bodie and, you know, he's willing, he loves her, but he's also going to have her. What does he say? Like cut up like a pig or something. Yeah. That's when I was like, Bodie, mm, you really love her. That, that, that felt like a stretch. I would say that this is another thing. Bodie's turn. To being like, hey man, I love everybody, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill my girlfriend if I have to. Like, or he's like, I'm not, but I don't do it. I'm not gonna kill her. But but Rufus is gonna kill her or whatever. He's like, it would make me so sad if my friend gutted this girl. Like I told you, everything was starting to feel a little bit incoherent. But maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point Bigelow is making. It's like these lies can only sustain themselves for so long before they just all start coming apart at the seams. Uh, I do love his line in that scene, though, which which you guys were kind of paraphrasing, where she, where he says, "I don't want to do this to her. She was my woman. We shared time, man." Yeah, so right. that was like fantastic writing for that character. Like in a moment like that, like v- rarely would you sustain being able to speak in that character's language, and you would just be trying to like get through the plot. But to have him in that moment say something so specifically Bodhi, I thought it was like a pretty great detail. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Rosie's Rosie. There's also around this time in the movie where like suddenly, and it's just before this, um, suddenly like people start commenting on the fact that like what men are bad at in a weird way. Like there's a scene where he's talking to Lori Petty and it's after the bank robbery gone, um, the bank robbery where he falls on his knee and gets a little beat up and she's bandaging him. And he's like, Oh, I have something to say. And then he can't say it. And she's like, Oh, men are so bad at this. And then two scenes later, she, he's calling her and he like leaves a message on her voicemail and he goes, fuck, why can't I ever say what I really mean? That was a great line. That, that yeah. Was but it, yeah. 
it uh, it also feels like a very pointed uh-huh. thing that the to have it happen twice. This movie that is so specifically about men and their tribes and testosterone to even where she says at the party too much testosterone for me to suddenly start having these men who like can't talk about their feelings just in brief snippets. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all the I think all the I think all the gender stuff is is really interesting and probably why people still dig this movie and enjoy talking about it because it's campy but there, i don't know it's, yeah there's interesting stuff going on there but it goes back to what you asked uh, at the beginning of the conversation do you think it's in intentional right i mean i guess when i asked that question like, are they taking this seriously? Like, what is going on here? Right. I think I was thinking of some of the more over-the-top stuff and just how... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is it is an interesting movie. I mean, there are a lot of campy action movies. There are a lot of corny action movies. There are a lot of... There's a lot of cheesy dialogue for villains in action movies. But still, there's not a lot of action movies like this one. Like, this is a very particular movie... Very emotional in a certain yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, we haven't well, we, haven't, we that... haven't even talked about the ending, how over over the top and romantic the ending is. <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, bef- just bef- just before the over the top ending, do you think there aren't movies like this? Because all of the things that we're calling attention to, while I wouldn't say the movie is subtle, it is not calling attention to these things in the way that most movies would. Like it's really focusing on the the surface most of the time. Bank robbers, surfers, FBI, got to get the job done. And all the things that we're focusing on are like, in some ways, while campy, are kind of subtle. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's true. And and, and you know what? This is maybe, maybe I went into it looking for that stuff because, you know, it's been around for 30 years. It is still like a cultural thing. It's like, oh, there's got to be something here. I better have my potential deep moment radar on. I don't know. Maybe this would have passed over me entirely if I'd seen this in the theater 30 years ago and I would have forgotten about it just like I forgot about the Vanilla Ice movie, you know? I don't know. Oh, do you think the Vanilla Ice movie carries some <laughs> some things and some pointed moments that people should talk about? I mean, I'm sure if you went back and watched it now, it'd probably be fascinating from like a race cultural appropriation type of stuff, you know? I'm sure I mean, that didn't... I'm sure Cold as Ice is now a rich text, even though it might not have been one at the time. You know, I'm sure there's a lot there. <laughs> we didn't do co- it's an artifact, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, didn't we do Cold as Ice on the show? No, but we did Ford Fairlane. That's what I'm thinking of. Which is oh right, that's we've... the um, what's his name? Andrew Dice Andrew Clay. Andrew Dice right? Clay. Yeah. Yep. Similar. That different. one's much. I feel like that one was harder to take than Cold as Ice might be. Like Cold as Ice, I feel like might be boring, whereas the Dice movie was just uncomfortable yeah like it's all i remember out seeing cold as ice is he had a motorcycle and one of the guys i was with was really drunk and actually this is so gross he actually he just pulled down his pants and peed in like in the theater seat it was just like so tacky (laughs) Ugh. anyway (laughs) i like that guy right but that's the kind of guy who then was like yeah you know it'll be fun let's all go see boys in the hood comes out ashen face like (laughs) holy fuck Ice Cube just fucking walked away and disappeared, man. I was not ready for that. It's like, <laughs> like I was gonna take a piss in the theater, right, but yeah. not during that movie. Right. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. It just seemed like not cool, right? 
Um, yeah, so the romantic ending of the movie where Bodhi is standing out in Australia waiting for the uh, 50 year, is it the 50 year storm? 50 right? Year storm. Yeah. It's a great 50 year storm. To the 50 year storm. Keanu has been traveling wave. around the world looking for his white for whale. Indeterminate period of time, right? Yep. And we're back in the rain. The movie ends like it begins with Keanu in the rain, looking beautiful, achieving his mission. And I love that in the midst of this moment where he's about to arrest him, Swayze's like, you still surfing? <laughs> Every day. Every yeah. day. <laughs> I mean. Every morning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, he has to let him go die in the wave, but it, it truly makes no sense for him to do that. <laughs> It doesn't like if his and, intention was to not arrest him, like why even go? Like why just throw let him. Why throw the handcuffs on him? I mean, there's a, yeah. it's a whole bait and switch with the handcuffs. Um, I mean, honestly, when the cuffs went on, because again, because I'd never seen it before, I was like, oh shit, they're gonna they're handcuffed together. They're both gonna go get on the. This is like Thelma and Louise, right? They're gonna be holding hands as they. Oh my god! March into that would have been a very rich, yes. a very rich I mean, gay. That would have that would have taken it into holding the upper hands. echelon of queer cinema, right? Oh holding hands, but they don't have a choice because they've been handcuffed together. I mean, that would be now. Are they on the same surfboard or are they on different surfboards? I thought they would just be on the same surfboard. Like Patrick <laughs> it's Susan, more romantic like, that way. Yeah. yeah. But instead, Keanu Swayze, looks at like, him and him to, to decouple him and then just lets him go off and get crushed by that massive wave. And the Australian and police, by the way, who have brought a fucking helicopter, who have obviously been informed by Keanu Reeves that they're doing this huge bust. They have the hundreds of officers coming to this arrest. And they're like, what the fuck? What the no, fuck? it's so funny. The guy, the guy shows up with the most hilarious Australian <laughs> accent. Like, they just storm the beast. You let him go! What are you right. doing? <laughs> hey, mate! Right. So this is a... I, I, yeah. I was just going to say that um, thinking back on it, because we just did Thelma and Louise uh, like a month or two ago, um, Gina Davis's final monologue in Thelma and Louise that convinces Susan Sarandon to drive over the cliff is not that different from Swayze's final monologue to go out into the water. She's saying, she's saying in Thelma and Louise, like, I've seen something and I can't go back. I'm a different person. Mm. And Swayze's saying, you know, I can't live in a cage. I yeah, can't be, I can't, right. I can't live that life. And she's basically saying, I was in a cage before and I can't be in that cage anymore. I'd rather die. Now, I mean, I, right. I mean, I understand that. That's a good, that's a good um, comparison between those two monologues. My question is, Keanu, like, since when do you let somebody not go to jail just because they, they don't feel like being in jail? It's like, <laughs> this dude has so much blood on his hands. I don't yeah, care like, if you have a crush on him. Yeah, like, nobody wants to go to jail, dude. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. it's not a, They all feel like this. Right. <laughs> I can't wait to go live in a cage, man. Oh, I've, wanted, I've waited my whole life to go live in a cage. Oh, well, it's totally fair. Room. You got me, man. All right. right. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, then my question is... He was, like, perplexed. He's, like, most criminals he arrests are like, Woo! Right. All right, let's go! Uh, <laughs> does he throw his badge away because he knows he has violated the oath of his position and he can no longer serve the FBI with honor? Or does he throw his badge away because he's like, I can't be a part of a system that tries to imprison hippies who kill people? It's just like... The, I mean, the, <laughs> the badge thing to- is very dramatic and fun, but I don't really get... Like, what's the deal with him throwing his badge? Yeah, it, I didn't. I didn't get that. It either, kind yeah. of needed. It kind of needs one more plot line, one more storyline to show like why being an FBI agent is is bad. Like, 
for him to throw that into the ground. Because like if they're trying to make some kind of statement about the justice system, um, then it needed like a little more. Although, as we've said, there are numerous moments in the movie where they are bad at their job. True. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But that, but it feels indivi- it feels specific to them. It doesn't feel like specific to a system right. as a, as a whole. And as so far as we don't... know, Keanu has chased uh, Patrick Swayze like all the way around the world for months and months and months. Yeah, and that's, oh, right. that's exactly. just because he wanted to fuck him one last. I mean, fight him one <laughs> yeah, last time. Exactly. You know, he just needed closure, right? That was, I think it the badge. I think you're right. The him throwing the badge away is probably not his character making a political decision. But I do think that it would have been more compelling, although less dramatic, is if, yeah, they arrested Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze was yanked off the beach moments before he was finally going to ride his massive wave. He's going to spend the rest of his life on dry land in a box. And Keanu's just like, this is kind of a bummer, and throws his badge away. Like, he should throw his badge away after doing the job. He shouldn't throw the badge away after doing the opposite of the job. Unless him throwing the badge away is him being like, yeah, I can't. I don't have it in me. I'm not an FBI agent. I'm a softie. I just totally let this guy go off and live his last moments in freedom as opposed to in jail, even though he killed, like, how many people did he kill? Like, multiple people. I just one, I think just one person, technically. Patrick Swayze, oh, personally right. Less killed. than the FBI, maybe. So maybe that's the calculation. He's like... Yeah, the one person that he killed was the um, the the off-duty the police officer. Who was the who, reason everything went bad in the first place is a police officer. Again, again, the cops are the ones who right. make things go badly in this movie. Like the ex-presidents are just surfing and robbing banks, and they're not hurting anybody. The banks are insured, right? I mean, this is just their philosophy. And as soon as the 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 justice system gets involved, people start getting killed, like at mostly at their hands. So this is an earlier, rat, more radical Catherine Bigelow as opposed to Zero Dark Thirty Bigelow. This is an ACAB text in addition to being a queer text, right? Yes. It's like it's, Well, Detroit is an ACAB text, yeah. and so is Strange Days. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Interesting. Interesting. Zero Dark Thirty is, and Blue Steel is um, not necessarily an ACAB text, but Jamie, it is, a, it is about um, a female police officer played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and it is like considered a seminal feminist text. Oh, that um, Bigelow. Yeah, Bigelow, what what most people, I don't know, I don't want to say what most people don't know, but Bigelow actually came out of a very, uh, an underground feminist film scene that's like largely defined by like Lizzie Borden in the in New York, in the, um, but like a, 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 an underground feminist film scene that was like, uh, she worked with Lizzie Borden and another, a number of other female filmmakers around that time, making her own avant-garde right. films as well. So and then she made... The avant-garde film, the it's not an avant-garde film, The Loveless with Willem Dafoe. It was his first movie. It's kind of a um, mostly reference to Kenneth Anger's Scorpio Rising about a biker gang in the 60s. Ooh, and it's like this really like lurid, beautifully filmed movie about like, you know, black leather and bikers and, and, and yeah, machismo. Yeah, yeah. And then she made Blue Steel and Near Dark. And Near Dark is kind of a companion piece to Point Break in the sense that it's about um, these societal outsiders who rage against society while, it, but in this case, they're, they're literal vampires and they're feeding off of, mm-hmm. off of people mm-hmm. um, and sort of traveling around in an RV uh, killing people. James LaGrosse, who's in, in this as um, the guy who gets tossed out of the airplane yeah. at the end of the movie right. is in near dark. And um, I believe someone else is as well, but I, I can't remember. But yeah, that's Bigelow's. So there is like a pol- like there is a political uh, history to Bigelow's 
Bigelow's work and a foundation, if not entirely corrupted by Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> well, I like, mean, you could say that is for the Hurt Locker kind of a, an inflection point where you're just kind of start looking at these people as just people trying to do their jobs and keep other people safe and they're under a lot of mm. stress and mm-hmm. then maybe that mm-hmm. leads itself to zero dark 30 which is like well essentially what are they trying to do but protect other people and what am i yeah, against yeah, that's that interesting. you know yeah well the idea that if you depict the stresses that the like in an apolitical way depict the stress that soldiers go through right. you'll hopefully be able to like push through a a, a political message to a wide a, ma- a wider audience uh, about the war itself, mm-hmm. which I don't think is an inherently wrong, but there's an argument that you are also um, like legitimizing by remaining, whole, yeah. yeah, by remaining apolitical, you are legitimizing the right. the, the sort of yeah. root decisions that got us into this in the first into these problems in the first place. Right. And with Zero Dark Thirty, I always imagined it as like, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind, I'm like half joking when I say the CIA funded it, but like, I, you know, Mark Bull was a journalist beforehand, and you know, you, it, it's like a snowball effect. You start getting sources, and those sources give you other sources. You feel very close to power, yep. and you start taking those sources and those, the, the, those, those stories from people in power, not for granted, but as, as, you just as, kind as the of, truth, even though these are the guys are running, talking to the CIA, it's like, these are right. the guys running the world and they're like telling me the straight dope, you know, like you just get, yeah, but she that, should have known know. better because that's exactly what happens in point break. The CIA was <laughs> Bodie and Catherine Bigelow was, was Utah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, um, do you want to do the questions, Ricky? Should we move on to the questions? Yeah, I guess before we move on to the questions, though, um, David, is there anything else that you want to uh, bring up beforehand? Uh, let me check my limited notes. Um, no, I guess I have one thing I wanted to mention, but I think it can be an answer to one of your questions. So let's do the questions. Okay, so the first question uh, that we ask is, uh, what's your favorite part of the movie? Skydiving sequence. I loved. I um yes. Which one? The first or the second one? The one that are there is there more they run together in my mind. That's so interesting. I just think of them as one, but you're right. No, the first one, the romantic one. Um the happy one, not the pursuit. Right? Right, the friendly one, the broy one. F- yeah. Right, the friendly one where they're all falling in a, and they're holding hands. I've never had any interest in surfing. Although I do love being in the ocean, but I've have long had fantasies about just fall, just falling through the air like they do, you know, before they deploy their parachutes. So I really love that sequence. I love the music of it. That's probably my favorite. I mean, and then, you know, obviously all these quotable lines that it's, this is one of those movies where you're like, oh, is this where that comes from? Is this where that comes from? Just so many things about like, riding the wave and like being in the mo- you know the ultimate rush it's just one of those source how, tech. yeah how surprised were you and this isn't in reference to like those types of those types of lines in the movie but how surprised were with you were were you with how funny the movie intentionally funny the movie is intentionally funny like how give me an example of a moment <laughs> well, I, I mean i would say at the very i'm not saying like laugh out loud funny i i just mean that I'm 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 often caught off guard. Like when we when I was rewatching Terminator Two, anytime James Cameron could put a joke into a scene, mm-hmm. he would put a joke into a scene. Yeah, and I feel like Point Break does the same thing. Um, you know, he's like an uncredited screenwriter. I think Bigelow as well, and maybe it was the original writer, also. But 
I feel like we miss that now in, in, in action movies. You're either like a big, broad action comedy or you're like some kind of somber action Right, you're movie. not going to see a Jason Bourne movie that has a bunch of jokes in it. Yeah, yeah. whereas, you know, like or Keanu Reeves walks like into... an action movie where the hero is like literally winking at the camera and is like, isn't it crazy that I'm in such a piece of shit movie? Yeah, exactly. Whereas like with this, like, you know, Keanu walks into the FBI agent's office and the FBI agent is like, you know you know, we like you to eat healthy here, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I take the skin off my chicken. And then like a second later, he grabs a donut and is like, uh, I love these things. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And the guy looks at him and goes, look at you, young, dumb, and full of cum. Like, I just- Yeah, that was Gary a phrase Busey where I was like, holy is- shit, is that where that phrase comes from? Yeah, me too. I was like that too. I was like, is this the first time anybody ever it said that? It can't be. Maybe it's the first time it was ever said in a movie, but it can't be the first time it was ever. Every ever time ever. anyone has ever said young, dumb, and full of cum, they're referencing Point Break. Like, it what a true. moment to have, you know? Can we also say that- the use of that phrase in this movie, once again, is clearly very intentional. Like, we keep bringing up these things that happen in the movie, and we're like, oh, is that intentional or not? And it's like, no, actually, like, for oh, all yeah, of these things right. to another, be in the movie, they yeah. all have to be intentional. Yeah, totally. You're right. Um, point. That specific phrase was used for a specific reason. Yeah, within the first five minutes. <laughs> Chris, what about you? What's your favorite part? Yeah, well, it's kind of similar to what David said, but you know, there's a certain reductionist way to look at this movie to just say like it's the '90s. It's about it's a cops and robbers movie, but there's like extreme sports in it. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh yeah, they're big into surfing or whatever. You know, but I I think this very specific way they show surfing and skydiving in this movie, it's just handled in this way that makes it seem like genuinely interesting like they're not focusing on like all the, the million times you've seen like surfing videos of somebody like shooting the curl it's they're all always just like sitting on their surfboards like not really doing anything and then like joking around with each other and then they're like oh that's your wave and they're like oh fuck you know and they're trying to get on the wave really like that is the reality more of what it's like to to do stuff like this and i You're thought right, it was so yeah interesting that it's they that's the choice they made in this movie that ostensibly is like a big action movie with, with about with extreme sports like it was just perfect it was point. just perfect. And night surfing is another great scene when they all go night surfing right. oh it's beautiful and that shot of patrick swayze like looking at him and being like all right and it's like rear projection of the wave <laughs> behind him it's beautiful i i will say have like in watching the the remake of or not the remake, yeah, the, I guess the reboot remake of Point Break from 2015, that's what it is, which is, that's what it's missing. There is no, like, as they're, like, going, as they're going surfing, there's no, like, hanging out in the water or anything. They're just immediately on the largest waves you could possibly <laughs> CGI <laughs> yes, into right. a movie. Exactly. Like, it, it's, it's extremely stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's only one moment of them hanging out before they do an extreme sport, and in that moment, it's the one where they go, don't Point Break! <laughs> but that's because now extreme sports is like a known yeah. extreme, extreme sports is like now that phrase comes with expectations just based on the 30 years of footage or ideology that we've consumed about extreme sports or stuff like surfing or skateboarding or something and i guess well, that, and also i know, think no sorry go ahead david i was gonna say i guess there had been plenty of surf movies before point break i mean there was all the beach bank blanket right. bingo stuff yeah. but it did feel kind of new and unusual, and maybe that's why she had the space to just kind of film the surfing stuff and what I imagine is kind of her on her own terms, you know? Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
Like there wasn't like yeah. a big template of like this is what a surf action movie is like and you Right, exactly. This. Yeah, exactly. That's what he I mean. He was kind of yep. inventing the space in a certain yep. way, you yep. know. Well, I don't think there is I I still I don't think there is still that now, but I do think the prevalence of extreme sports and the few movies that have featured them makes it so that you have to any kind of movie that you want for mass appeal or a wide audience, you have to up the ante to the point to like the fast and furious place. Right, right. So like you couldn't just make a movie like this that feels sure it's ridiculous. He jumps out of the plane without a shoot on, but by and large compared to what we have to watch now for, 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 for cop movies right. on a, on a big budget level, like nobody is, it feels their, very grounded and realistic. Yeah. Jumping your surfboard over a, over an expressway or like getting <laughs> right. on a wave and surfing up into space or something. <laughs> Right. Nobody's surfing a skyscraper in Abu Dhabi and then landing in a Ferrari and driving over a cliff and I into think part of that, a new planet. Yeah, but part of that is that unlike a lot of action adventure movies, the other than the one time they fall out of the airplane in a chase mode, it's not like the surfing is how they rob banks. The, the, the extreme right. sport is not the means through which they do their crime or get away from their crime. Right? It's just like a it's like it's a sort just of their meditative... crazy hobby that they love doing, right? <laughs> if it was made today, they'd be like, Well, could there be a bank like in the middle of the ocean and they surf out to it and rob it and then surf away? Like they would want to fold the the activity, right. the extreme sport activity into the mechanics of how they actually do their capers. And in this would... instance, something that's interesting about the movie is those two things are just completely separate. The only way that surfing influences their crime is that Bodhi's surfing philosophy, he uses it to justify his criminal activity. And the criminal activity funds. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is another funny thing. Yeah. Right. They're just robbing banks so they have enough money to. That's why. Yeah. We don't need the vault. We just need enough money to get to the next beach. Like, and it's a pretty amazing movie. It's pretty awesome. It's also pretty beautiful that, like, okay, according to the plot, they believe Johnny Utah to be, like, a corporate lawyer who is just surfing in his spare time. And they are very sweet to him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, if you were, I feel like if, if I were a corporate lawyer who was trying to take up surfing and I, I had the great kindness done to me of getting to hang out with all these cool surfing dudes uh, who accepted me for who I was, I, I would be thrilled. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. You know what? That law, that lawyer backstory reminded me of a line that really made me laugh. And I can't remember what it was, but they, she, he was going with um, what's her name to go meet them or something. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh no, I have a really important meeting this morning that I forgot about. <laughs> yes. I can't remember what he's trying to yeah, get yeah. out of. He's it, trying to, he, re, it's the moment he realizes that they're, that, that it's them. Right. Like, they're okay. the robbers, like he's yeah. looking out and like something about their philosophy or something makes him realize that it's them. And he, she, they're all about to go surfing and he goes, like exactly what you said. I just remembered I have a meeting I have to get to. I just, <laughs> just remembered like, I have the big case. It's just I have such to an go incredible of a line. I really laughed at that. But yeah. <laughs> Um, I really love when they dif discover that he's Johnny. U this isn't my favorite part, but we were kind of talking about it when they oh, discover yeah. he's Johnny Utah, and they're like, uh, they're like, don't you know who this is? Johnny Utah, Rose Bowl quarterback, and they're like, oh yeah, Johnny Utah. Right. Like, they're all they're, what they, all they do? They all college love football. college football. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Ohio State, right? Ohio State. Yeah, exactly. yeah. All these surfers <laughs> of Ohio State. Um, yeah, what? Yeah, what's... my my favorite part of the movie is. Um, pretty silly because because uh, it's hard to pick because I, I have a lot of favorite parts in the movie and I guess as a whole it would be the 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 
the sort of no knock warrant raid uh, <laughs> on, on the the server Nazi's house. Um, I love like everything that's. I'm gonna do two favorite parts. I'm gonna do that, um, but specifically because Sizemore shows up at the end of that, and I just love Tom Sizemore this in this era. Like through the '90s, Tom Sizemore is probably my favorite actor. Um, and he kind of blew it isn't, after that. Isn't his but... hair dyed like platinum blonde or something in this scene? Yeah, and he, yeah, and, he, he, and, he says, and he says, and he says, and he and he goes, "Do you think I like my fucking hair like this? You think I like wearing these fucking clothes? My wife wants me to stay at the Ramada Inn." <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a great monologue. Oh he's like, he's like, "How are they robbing a bank on August fourth when they were in Fort fucking Lauderdale? Huh, genius." Um, <laughs> I just he's got such an intense energy oh that like God. only he had in the in the 90s oh and it's uh, uh, tragic that he really blew it but um and then uh when Patrick Swayze throws the pitbull at Yo, I love that this am- yeah. I've never seen that in a movie before <laughs> so and fucking awesome using it's a dog so as a funny. projectile I was like this is the <laughs> next level and- the way they set it Pitbull. up with this shot of Patrick Swayze in the mask holding the dog, and he's just going to go, kind of goes, huh, and <laughs> sit at the camera. It's very unexpected. It's very unexpected. Um, so the next question that we ask is, uh, what was the most 90s uh, part of the movie? Mr. Zog's sex you? wax. The close-up on the Mr. Zog's sex wax <laughs> container was incredible. And it's actually probably even earlier than the 90s, but in the 80s, when I was in elementary school, the hottest, most provocative shirt you could own was a Mr. Zog sex wax shirt, or the rest of us who parents would never buy us that in a million years had Panama Jack shirts. So one of the one of the prime pieces of my clothing collection in fifth or sixth grade was a long sleeve t-shirt for Panama Jacks, which I don't even know what it is. I think it's like suntan lotion, but Mr. Zog's <laughs> sex wax. Lotion, yeah. Seeing that close-up shot of the wax, putting aside the genius of all their chemical CSI stuff they did to determine that they were surfers uh, was, <laughs> it was very awesome. I was hoping we would have a lot of Mr. Zog's sex wax imagery, but that one. No, I remember this too. Mr. Zog's sex wax being like the most controversial thing you could possibly. Yeah. I think it's like one of those things where I think they banned people from wearing that shirt. (laughs) And then there was a, of course my my girlfriend, my girlfriend in that scene was like, Oh, I have a Mr. Zog's sex wax shirt. It's probably worth something. And then there was a, there was a clothing brand, I think called boast. And you couldn't wear that because they Boast. decided the leaf looked too much like a pot leaf. Those oh, were like yeah. the, the hot ticket items. In yeah, I remember they school. had like a little basket of them next to the checkout at the like corporate record store in town when I was a kid. Like next yeah, to it was them, totally, like across. It totally was like one of those products that I think just for some reason, it's like a specialty product that just all of a sudden became ubiquitous. They were probably so happy at the Sex Wax Factory. Oh, my God. And it's such a good, you're right, such a good shot of their logo. It's perfect. Like, you cannot pay for that kind of thing. It was amazing. That reminds me, though, that you said all of the sort of CSI work they do to find out who these guys are. The movie does a very good job of doing that shit so quickly that you do not give a fuck about (laughs) it. Because if if you take one second to consider their detective work... Like, this is ridiculous, but it just goes. He's like, I think they're surfers from a tan line. Go to the beach. Oh, we're at the beach. Oh, they're surfers. Oh, we're getting hair. Boom, 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 boom. And so you just kind of like totally let it go rather than be like, take even take a second to be like, this is not 
how any right. of this would go. It makes no sense. It's just like the, um, yeah, the movie's just told you it's about surfers and right from the beginning. And, you know, so you don't question the journey in that direction. Right. Yeah. You're just like, when are we going to like, they need to get to surfers. And this is the, the, the very quick track with which they're doing it in the most recent one, not to go on too much of a tangent, but there is a, I, I shit you not like a 10 minute scene in the beginning of the movie of the most boring actor in the world, more boring than Keanu Reeves explaining to Delroy Lindo how he has figured out that these are extreme athletes doing oh extreme God. things or whatever. It's in one room. It's shot with that very television style. Like, Oh, we have six cameras, each of them on separate dolly tracks that are just shooting wides and close-ups at the same time. And we're just cutting really fast back and forth. And the guy is talking for 10, had to be 10 minutes. It felt like 10 minutes. Well, Delroy Lindo, great actor, is doing his best to like look like he's listening. <laughs> it's, I mean, like they couldn't have been bothered to be like, let's break this up over the course of a few scenes and actually make it look like detective work rather than have our character just explain it in her room. And, like, if you're going to go that direction, like, it's much better to just have Gary Busey go, like, hey, look at his tan line. Go check out the beach. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, why do Gussy it up any more than that? Right. Or, like, have someone in the room like Gary Busey being like, that's fucking crazy. And then you can keep going rather than someone try to take it seriously yeah. the whole time. Um, what's your 90s moment, Chris? Or did you already say it? No, you didn't say it. No, I didn't say it. I mean, there's... Well, I'm excited for you, too. Thank you so much, Ricky. It means a lot to me to have your support, <laughs> and I really do appreciate it. Um, I mean, in a certain way, it's like where to fucking start. Like, every single thing about this movie is extremely 90s. Like, I mean, the fact that it's extreme sports bank robbers only at this point, you know, only in the 90s, 100%. The fact that when they dress up... There's a scene we haven't really talked about where Keanu gets in trouble at the FBI for going being too deep undercover. And he's like literally holding a surfboard, like walking around the FBI office. And Gary Busey is also for some reason wearing like a bugle boy shirt or something, some kind of like stussy shirt or something, um, which is also extremely, extremely nineties and very, very silly looking. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, you know, eh, uh, uh, I would say one of the things that really that I really enjoy is just the um the font on the opening credits and how much it's like like a Crystal Pepsi ad or something. Just the way the text and it's like overlapping, uh, big kind of hollow bubble letter outline mm-hmm. text going back and forth. Um, such a big thing at the time. Like it's not exactly like right here right now, but it's kind of getting that direction. You know, um, very nineties. Yeah, I have this this weird feeling while watching the movie which is that i was oddly reminded of and i couldn't really explain why outside of maybe the wardrobes of the surfers but of this this band drama rama from the 90s that had this song that was like anything anything and uh i just remembered the music video and everybody that was like working for patrick swayze looked like the singer of that band and i can't even really tell you what the singer of that band looked like <laughs> it was just one of those things that like during the scene i was suddenly like drama rama <laughs> okay and the song popped into my head and i was just like and that to me like encapsulated some sort of oh like 90s not not grunge but like grunge adjacent right. vibe yep. yep yeah uh in terms of style and look uh, okay, so the last question that we, since there's nothing anybody nothing. can say, How could I possibly add something to that, Ricky. It's impossible. <laughs> I'm literally Google image searching drama rama this second to try to add something to this conversation. 
Justin, you guys have any thoughts about that? About my weird hallucination of drama rama during the movie? No, I, um, let me just look it up. I'll figure it out. I'll have something to say in a minute. Um. So okay. So the last question is, um, you know, it's been thirty years since this movie came out. Obviously, culturally, we've grown out of a lot of things that movies can do that you know we would tolerate in movies or would like in movies. Uh, what is something, David, that uh, we have grown out of since this movie came out? I well, I mean, I feel like the the subtext of our conversation has been this movie was actually kind of ahead of its time. Um. So it didn't feel. I I don't remember a lot of like cringeworthy moments. It's not like there were people doing bad Asian stereotypes or making a lot of, you know, gay panic jokes. Um, what have we grown out of? No, I mean, you're totally right, right? Like, it is very forward This feels looking. like an unproblematic fave. You can't say that about every movie that came out in the summer of 1991, you know? Yeah, certainly um, 100% you cannot say that about almost every other movie from 1991. I'm really trying to think of... I mean, there's stuff certainly that's dated. And like you guys said earlier, there's stuff you probably would not see in a movie today, but that might be, you know, we might be all the worse off for that. That was where, that's where I was going to yeah, go me too, with, 100%, with mine yeah. was, was, um, I think that point break, well, uh, you know, can't, like we've said, it can't be like most of our conversation has been about the subtext of the movie. And I just don't think that, you would make a movie that rich in subtext today, it, like a cops and robbers movie. You would be like, you would you would have to say up front, sure, this is a cops and robbers movie, but the the robbers are this and the cops are bad, and this is what we're and this is what we're trying to say, and they're gay lovers, and so we're trying to make something about about that as well. You wouldn't have everything underneath the surface of what is an idea of like a normal genre. Right. Movie, and what's so, in my opinion. and what's so interesting about the movie is there's plenty of movies where a guy goes undercover and he gets in too deep and he starts to fall in love with the lifestyle and he can act on his basest impulses. And that means it becomes a real challenge when he has to like turn coat and bring down the organization. That's a, that's a very, very familiar. What's interesting about this movie. And it's easy to imagine a movie now, maybe not a big budget movie, but you can imagine a movie where a closeted FBI agent goes undercover with a bad guy and they literally fall in love with each other and start sleeping together. And then it's hard for him to bring him down. What's interesting about Point Break is Keanu Reeves goes undercover. He kind of does fall in love with Patrick Swayze, but not in a sexual way. This is a movie about male romance. I don't think this is a movie about male sexual desire, although everybody looks terrific. And how could you not be attracted to them at least on a platonic you know way but this is a movie about a, a male love affair and i mean this is exactly what i was going to say i agree a hundred percent right it's about men who are in love with each other in this theoretically non-sexual way and i don't think that that's really the subtext or the text of any movies anymore and there was kind of a, a rash of these i mean you could people say top gun is a movie like this right about mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The, the relationship between Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise, right? It's a similar kind of like charged male relationship. But this is like, it is, it's this thing where this male love, it's a really interesting s- subject for an action movie. And a lot of them are kind of are getting at it in certain ways, but not in the way this movie does. It's, right, it's a, because this is not a, this is not 48 hours. This is not a buddy right. action movie. This is a, romantic 
buddy action movie. It's very interesting to try to think of other examples, and I can't really think of any off the top of my head. I think that's one well, of the I reasons that... I want to watch it again. It just kind of sits, it sits in a very interesting position relative to a lot of other genre movies. I just think that if you were to make a, and I think you were kind of saying this, if you were to make a romance movie about two straight men who find each other, it would just be that. Maybe they would be cops and maybe they would be robbers, but the romance right. would blossom because that would be a selling point of the movie. Right. There yep. is something special about this moment where like, you can't sell a movie that way, right? You can't make a movie that way on a studio level. So like, you have to make it a subtext of some kind. So you have to, you you have to sort of enrich every scene with these these thematic ideas that don't feel heavy-handed, but are at the same time still getting some subversive idea across. Whereas, like, it's very hard to be subversive in a movie now because the subvert there there is no sub; it's all text. Yeah, right. Exactly. At this point, and yeah. it's what people expect. I mean, movies are marketed off of uh, off of this at this right. point. You know, like. Like, yeah. come watch this subversive movie. It's going to blow your mind. You know what it kind of reminds me of in a weird way? Well, it's The Handmaid's Tale, right? right. The Handmaid's Tale, resist right. by watching The Handmaid's right. Tale. Yeah. This movie, in a weird way, reminds me of another movie that I really, really love, which is a genre movie that is actually has a great representation of platonic love between a couple. And that movie is Last Holiday, starring Queen Latifah, Elo Cool J, and Gerard Depardieu. That's a movie I can't recommend it highly enough. It's incredible. And really? The central relationship is Queen Latifah and Gerard Depardieu both love to cook, and they basically have a whirlwind romantic relationship that is based entirely around the sensual act of preparing and consuming delicious food. And there is never... <laughs> There is never a moment when you have a will they, won't they? Are they going to kiss? Are they going to wind up? It's it never comes close to that. But they, are, but it is a romantic relationship. And when I first saw that movie, it blew my fucking mind. I felt like whoever made this movie is playing nine dimensional chess. I so rarely see this kind of movie. So it kind of and it and it has the same appeal as Point Break does, which is right. There are all different types of romantic love. There are all different types of attraction and it can even border on being a sensual attraction, but we see so few of those relationships in big budget Hollywood movies. And so it's really interesting to watch what was supposed to be a blockbuster, I guess, that has this sort of atypical, subtle, romantic relationship between the good guy and the bad guy. So yeah, I'll say not to not to be too tangential because we should wrap things up. But um, the Queen Latifah, the platonic relationship of the Queen Latifah movie that you were just talking about reminded me of uh, Nancy Myers's, I believe, The Intern with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, which is a movie that I love that is also about a platonic relationship that you always kind of expect to veer because of because of what we expect in movies, but it remains. Platonic right and what the and, entire and, movie. and the and the total jujitsu of that and it's not deliberate it's just the world we live in is the fact that these relationships never become sexual makes the movie feel subversive because it's so unusual so instead of watching a movie and being like holy shit this is so subversive these people are about to fuck their brains out you're like holy shit this movie is so subversive i know these people are never going to have sex even though they're in love with each other it's a great it's a right. really exciting feeling and i think i got some of that from point break right so how do you how does the movie then satisfy 
all of those beats and expectations that you had for that movie while not doing it, which is an extremely hard thing to do for a movie because everything is satisfied. Like you said, Chris, even the moment where he's like, this is my, this is, this is me, right? Like it is hitting those beats, but at the same time, not giving you the exact thing that, mm-hmm. that, that you expect for satisfaction. Well, can I just say one thing real quick before we wrap up? And this is sort of related and sort of not, but this, this, this whole relationship. Are you going to plug your other podcast? Oh, fuck you. Don't, don't, no. Wait, why would you even, why would you come at no, me I'm like just this, kidding. Ricky? So late in the game, you know, we're having such a lovely time. <laughs> You're going to start treating me like this. Oh my Lord. Um, I was just gonna say it's 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 almost like a Hong Kong action movie. I think that's the other area you do see things like this. Mm. The killer yeah, came right. out in non-American. In yeah, you're absolutely right. So non-American yeah, right. action movies, I think, have interesting relationships like this. Yeah, and I think this kind of like doubling and you know being in love and also like seeing yourself in the other person—that's what so many of those Hong Kong action movies are about. And so you know, so much of this is from that that kind of thing, and that right. was going yep. on before this movie. I do wonder if that was an influence on on the film. I mean, it's totally possible it wasn't, but I do wonder. Yeah, male relationships uh, of that nature was the one thing Quentin Tarantino didn't steal from Hong Kong movies for, for his own movies for some reason. Healthy male relationships, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, well, guys, I think that uh, about covers it. Uh, David, thanks so much for, for talking. Thanks to for us. having me. It was great voice, to watch man. this movie. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and um, guys, if you want to check out David's stuff, um, he's the co-host of Election uh, Profit Makers podcast. So check that out. And uh, like we said, he's the co-creator of Dicktown, which is available on Hulu Resist. right now. Watch Dicktown on Hulu. <laughs> Watch Dicktown on Hulu. Resist. Resist. Yeah.